Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for tuning into this edition of Stand Up for the Truth. Memorial Day weekend is almost upon us and a lot to be thankful for in this country. That's why we set aside a day, Monday, and just remember the sacrifices that men and women have made in centuries past and still are making today. Uh, we are so blessed to have the Constitution that we do, to have the religious freedoms that we do, to live in this exceptional nation. Yes, it's not as moral as we once were, and the Church has something to do with that, but um, I'm hoping that we can talk about some things that really matter in terms of truth and in terms of what's happening in our culture today with Pastor Chris Quintana. We're going to get a pastor's perspective in just a few minutes. Father in Heaven, thank you so much for uh, just giving us really another day to live and breathe, and if, if there's breath in our lungs and if our hearts are beating, Lord, we know that you have us alive for your purposes, and I pray that we would be all about uh, your kingdom, your glory, and exalting the name of Jesus in our individual lives, whatever that looks like in our families, at our jobs, out in public, and in our ministries. We all have a ministry, and uh, help us to stand for the truth. Help us to reject the lies and the deception that's so rampant in this age, in America, that is even seeping into the church. And give us wisdom, Lord. We need more wisdom every day. We love you and thank you that you are the God of truth and that we have a secure foundation and also a secure inheritance. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Pastor Chris Quintana is back with us. Chris, thank you so much for joining us again. Well, I thank you for the invitation, David. It's good to hear your voice. Yes, always good to get your perspective. I'm looking forward to it. Um, you're not shy about talking about anything. That's one of the things I appreciate about you. <laughs> Even your posts on uh, Facebook, and we, God willing, we might get to some of that. But here's some of the rundown for people that are listening. They go, okay, what are you guys going to talk about? Uh, first of all, church leaders and pastors, the general response to opening up churches, um, there's a study come out by the Center for Biblical Engagement we're going to touch on. Also, the media's mishandling of COVID-19, their agenda-driven reporting. And we did a show yesterday. We didn't get through half of what we wanted to get through where media malpractice is concerned. We'll touch on a little bit of that. Plus, power-grabbing tyrannical governors. Wow, are some people showing their true colors. Um, the White House circus that used to be the, the press briefing room. Um, there's some questions we need to ask about reasoning, why they're waiting to release the churches or allow the churches to open. That's one of the last things, particularly New York and some governors have said it's low priority, non-essential, right? And then, um, Lord willing, we'll talk a little bit about your recent interview with Doreen Virtue. You know what? I want to start there, Chris. You recently had an interview um, a couple weeks ago or so with Doreen Virtue, and it was on contemplative prayer and I think, if I'm not mistaken, there were about 30,000 views on, on that. And you said some of the comments were just amazing. And what, what does amazing mean? What, what kind of feedback did you get from that and why? Well, if you look at her YouTube channel, she doesn't have the comments open on hers. It was <laughs> that people went looking to find out who I was, and they found our website. And they were all, i, I got to tell you, they... I didn't get a single one. Well, let me check that. I had one person who uh, came from a Catholic background who was really angry that I had lumped Catholics in with those who would practice what I believe is very clearly Eastern meditative practices wrapped up in Christian idioms. Mm -hmm. And so he wanted to have the debate. I said, fine, I'll be happy to discuss this with you, and I never heard back from him. But I had a number of other people who... Um, sent emails to me, and, and they were pretty much along these lines of, thank you for, you know, kind of opening up a few things that I had not understood about it. We practiced this in my church. I was very unhappy with it. I left my church because of it, or I came out of the New Age and 
Yeah, it's very Eastern in its orientation. So what we're talking about is spiritual formation or the practice of spiritual disciplines and spiritual meditative practices uh, of, uh, of a mystical sort, um, popularized modern days by a guy named Richard Foster. And uh, if you're looking for Protestants, he's a Quaker mm-hmm. or many, many Catholics uh, that are still teaching um practices, meditative practices, and that's what the whole interview is about. Mm. For Just to refresh people's memories, we haven't talked a lot about that spiritual formation in a while. We've had so many different guests on with different expertise. Can you just refresh our memories and what that is? And Because when you hear the word meditation and we go, yeah, we're supposed to meditate on the word day and night and to think on things that are spiritual you know, above, thick, you know, set your heart and mind on things above and the kingdom of Christ. So what's wrong with meditation? Is it they're doing it wrongly? Or can you explain that, Chris? Sure. It's not the, the meditation problem. If we think about it in a biblical sense, meditation means that you're going to ponder or think upon something. There is the problem is it's the methodology by which you do so. Mm-hmm. So they have practices that they have, and it, if you go and you find the people that are willing to say what's really true, they're talking about in some way, by some methodology or another, repetitive words, uh, walking a labyrinth or whatever else, you're supposed to get out of your conscious mind and get into a partial subconscious mind wow. so that you can hear and commune with God. Sure. <laughs> Where's that in Scripture? Stuff. It's not. <laughs> but... Here's the funny thing. I, I, I talked with one of the world's, what was what is seen as one of the world authorities, if you will, when I was still in California in spiritual formation. He heads up the Institute for Spiritual Formation at Talbot there at Biola. And so at the seminary level, he's teaching that practice, or those practices of spiritual formation. And I had asked him, you know, we got into a little bit of a discussion about the whole thing, and he boiled it down to this. Basically, it's pointing to me, people like you are trying to form the moral person by telling them in the Bible what they can and cannot do. What we're trying to do is open their understanding of truth, and we want to form the spiritual man. So spiritual formation versus moral formation, as though the two are mutually exclusive. Wow, so much, so much information. I I had the chance to watch that interview, and um, it was a good refresher, and I think a lot of people need to go check that out. It's on, you said, uh, now, Doreen Virtue obviously has a YouTube channel. Did you say you uh, reposted it on your own video page, video YouTube page? I have not put it there, but I put it on my social media. Okay. Uh, My pastor, Chris Quintana, I believe it was there. Uh, okay. But if people wanted to contact me, I can get them the link. Okay, we'll put that in today's uh, podcast notes as well. Um, I want to start. I wanted to start with some good news <clears throat> before we talk about the media and the opening of churches and the coronavirus chaos. Um, this came out recently, and it's no surprise when people go through hard times and when there's a lot of uncertainty or things in life, uh, like what's happening in America now, a lot of people turn to God. Well, this headline, 67% of young people have turned to prayer or have spiritual questions, and it's more during this pandemic. And we knew way back at the beginning, I mean, in the first couple weeks, Chris, we were seeing Google and other searches for God or prayer or other things. But on the other side of that, the flip side of that, we've also seen a spike in depression and suicide attempts. Uh, What are your thoughts on this as people are turning to God, but some people are really losing hope? Well, um, the idea of making people hopeless would would tell you how the devil would want to capitalize on such an event or series mm. of events. At the same time, uh, what what we see is the good news is that people are turning, quote, to God. That's such a nebulous description. Mm. And so yes. the devil's going to fill that void, too. So if we realize this, and I don't know if I've ever said this on your program, but I don't think that the Church genuinely understands just how thoroughly infiltrated the Church actually is with bad teaching and doctrine and theology. And what I point to as a good evidence of that, if we think about just in the book of Revelation, when Jesus addresses the seven churches, five of the seven are in some kind of real trouble, a couple are in straight-up apostasy. Mm -hmm. And that only took 60 years. So if we don't think that he's infiltrated the Church after 2000, I mean, get a grip. So 
um, what we really would want to be asking, if people are, quote, turning to God, are they just turning to the consumer-grade Christianity that's the easy believism without any specifics? Or are they genuinely turning to a faith that no matter what happens will sustain them in the eternal sense? Because I think you and I both know this, that when you survey the church, quote-unquote, it's a business oftentimes in this country because it can. It, it's, it has the freedom to operate as such. But in the rest of the world, the, in much of the rest of the world, the westernized version of church doesn't even exist. It can't. You know what? Thank you so much for that perspective, because God could mean a lot of things. Someone turning to pray, even prayer can mean a lot of things. It doesn't mean they're praying to the Father in Jesus' name or, you know, what, what we would understand as uh, Christians praying to the one true God. So thank you for that. And it is a reminder, yes, uh, we've got to really look deeper into just the headlines when we see something like that. It appears on the surface it's good news. But there are so many false gods. I want—I wasn't going to talk about this, Chris, but why not? This is kind of a free, <laughs> free flow Friday here with uh, Chris Quintana. Um, I saw really a video the other day. I went from here from um, Stand Up for the Truth down to Freedom Project in Appleton, where I record a weekly video and article, and then I went to my church to do something with our pastor, my pastor. And before I got there, the producer at Freedom Project showed me this video, just came across as like suggested videos, and it was from, I guess, the, the head guy at Life Church in, was it Oklahoma? Uh, his name is Craig something. I don't know who it is. But he... Michelle? Yes, I think that's it. He showed me this video from, I think it was from three to six months ago, where he's g- taking the behind-the-scenes tour of his church as he's coming in with his black T-shirt on and biceps bulging and his backpack around his back and in his jeans and walking through with his baseball cap down these long hallways. It looks like a, I don't know, it's a massive building. So he goes into this place that looked like CNN, this video room. with the, It's a media room at a church. And then he, he, and then he peeks in where they're rehearsing uh, worship. And I look, it looks like the side view of a rock concert from backstage with all the, it's, it's like blue lights and, and smoke or fog or whatever. And the, the worship team is getting ready to entertain and and then he goes down to his office it's a literally and i'm not exaggerating it is a green room he's got a big massive space with a a a living room set he's got a shower in there he says he works out and then he showers he's got a kitchenette and he's looking at showing the camera his energy drinks and all this and i'm watching this and chris to be honest my heart sank um and then I, I got some perspective later on when I got to church and prayed and got with my pastor. But I looked at that and go, these are the kinds of things that are influencing Americans about what Christianity is. And I'm thinking, where is this in the Bible where any of that is either relevant to the Bible or to God's word or to advancing the kingdom, sharing the gospel, making disciples. And I'd love to get your thoughts on that. I was really disheartened and discouraged, and then I, you know, just got in the Word and said, you know what, Father, you got, you have us exactly where you want us, and I know you're going to work through whoever you're going to work through, and um, I can't judge anyone's heart, but I look at that, and it's almost a mockery to me of what the church should be, and maybe I'm being a little too harsh. Well, I I would say it's not too harsh at all. I think what we want to do is make sure that people understand that when we bring these kind of things up, it's not personal. So when you when you just say the term mega church, a whole bunch of faces can pop up in your in your mind and just erase the faces because whether you're going to think of Joel Osteen or Rick Warren or any of those kind of very visible kind of people, let's just assume that the Lord leaves us here for another hundred years on this earth. Those guys are going to be gone, but somebody's going to take their place. Hmm. And that model of it costs me nothing, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a church kind of a model that really kind of uh, flaunts, whether it desires to do it or not, it flaunts the freedoms that we have in the country, and hmm. it's very easy to believe that. Yeah. So if, if, can you imagine how that church would do if you ever saw real, genuine, hardcore persecution like what exists in most of the rest of the world? it would fold like a cheap suit tomorrow mm. because it couldn't operate so freely. Yeah. So 
that that model works well here in the West. It doesn't work at all in much of the rest of the world because it simply cannot. So it's a it's a fraudulent representation, and you'll notice that in the message of it. Mm-hmm. So go listen to the sermons of those things, and you'll find. I know this is me being confrontational. It's it's the equivalent of spiritual tofu. It has all kinds of volume, but no substance. I like that. Spiritual tofu. I call it cotton candy Christianity, but I think I'd like to, to quote you and say uh, spiritual tofu. Uh, that's, I, like, <laughs> I like that, and I don't like that because I know it's true. Um, and it's sad, but you know what? Uh, we are here to do a job, and part of that job is uh, raising awareness about this and what the, the American church has become. And as one of our guests in the past has uh, famously said, American Christianity does not often resemble biblical Christianity. Some of us are trying to change that and do the work, and let's just keep on plugging away, brothers and sisters. Um, coronavirus, what's happening in the country? We, uh, we will get to a study. We've got to take a break in a couple minutes, but after that, we're going to talk about this study from Center for Biblical Engagement on how pastors and church attendees are navigating this pandemic. And my overall thoughts, Chris, are that it seems like this online worship thing, people are a little too comfortable with staying at home and just kind of watching a YouTube video or Facebook Live. And my question to you, one of my many questions to you today, is it really online, quote, worship? Is it too nitpicky to say, is it really possible when you got you're getting your breakfast together, you're in your comfy living room, your family's around, and you're watching a, a something on your laptop or iPhone? Is that worship? Can you clarify that for me? Am I being too nitpicky? No, I, and most people wouldn't necessarily even understand the full impact of what you're saying. But the the lack of face to face fellowship is something that the church. Um, has gone to extraordinary lengths to make sure it didn't get stomped out. Mm. Uh, look at the Book of Acts church, and they were meeting secretly. I always think about when Peter got busted out of prison, and he went and ran back to the disciples, and when when he comes to the door, they don't open it. She's the poor girl who sees him, thinks she's you know seeing a ghost, and he's out there in the streets like, would you let me in? I'm going to get thrown back in jail here. <laughs> but they met secretly, and by Acts chapter 8, they had been so persecuted that other than the or the apostles, they had all had to flee from Jerusalem. Mm. Um, so when it comes to that, that we don't really fully appreciate what it is to have that vital face-to-face kind of fellowship, and we're losing that. And there's so much more involved. I'm talking about accountability. I'm talking about being around people of like-minded faith to encourage you. Christians are human. A lot of people I've seen, I've heard conversations, they're struggling with fear during this pandemic. And yes, most of us, we, we know the scriptures. We've not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Well, obviously, we want to fear God, not a virus. But I think we're when you come to terms with your own mortality and see what's happening in the country, it can shake you if your foundation is not established on the truth of God's Word. Mm-hmm. Well, I and that's probably about as important as as any topic you could ever discuss because I think people need to understand this. Every single moment of your life is known to God, and you cannot speed it up or slow it down. And so you pretty much want to be able to say, Lord, until you're done with me, I'm bulletproof. So mm-hmm. bring it on as far as corona or anything else. You don't go out of your way to do stupid things. You know, you don't go licking doorknobs or anything, but you at the same time want to just say, I, if I catch this, I'll survive it. If he wants me to survive it, mm-hmm. I'll succumb to it. If he wants me to succumb to it. One of the things that we've seen from the media and from uh, just the <laughs> misinformation that's gone out over the Internet and uh, conspiracy theories are endless, Chris. And yeah. some conspiracies are really valid. There's actually a movement for globalism to push globalism, and there's actually this movement to uh, vaccinate people. Is that the mark of the beast? We started coming up with all these things. But we're going to talk about some facts when we come back, including just a couple of new, brand new articles I just got off the, the Internet this morning. Uh, Governor Kemp down in Georgia, for example, um, now in that whole state there are less than 1,000 people hospitalized for COVID-19. Now, as some of us know, Georgia was one of the states, maybe the first, that com- that was closed, 
and completely opened up and people said, you're going to kill people. Then the media said, you don't care about life. And uh, anyways, as of now, they seem to be doing pretty well. Governor Brian Kemp and the state's health director spoke about this yesterday. And I think uh, there's a stat here, something like um, there's a 38% drop in coronavirus patients since, I guess, May 1st. So that's a pretty significant number in a state that has taken a step and opened up. So we want to talk about some of these facts and get away from the fiction and, and some of the fear-mongering that we're hearing in the media. We've got on the line Pastor Chris Quintana. When we come back, a whole lot more on Stand Up For The Truth. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Okay, if you missed yesterday's podcast, I really encourage you to go check that out because one of the problems in this country is a left-wing press, the media, who do not have the American uh, citizens um, in mind anymore, the best interests in mind. They are not serving the people. They are serving their producers, editors, their whoever's funding them with money, and it's just so sad. So yesterday's podcast, Exposing Media Malpractice, we talked about the war on truth we got about halfway through all of the information and the stats and the surveys that we have. But check that out. There's even a chart on media outlets. It looks like there's about, I don't know, 75 of them. And who's to the left, who's to the right. So we've got that chart and uh, their reporting influences. So go to standupforthetruth.com slash podcast. Chris Quintana, um, CDC updates now uh, say that the coronavirus does not easily spread from contaminated surfaces, which is the opposite. In the early days, we were hearing uh, it's airborne. Um, and we were also hearing that um, you don't need to wear a mask. And now we're hearing, well, maybe you should wear a mask. But then, then you're, you're hearing, well, you're breathing your own, um, you know, oxygen or carbon dioxide into the mask. And wh- what is that going to do? Can you shed some light on what you have heard the most recent guidelines and why are we listening to them <laughs> well yeah that's why i would say you, you have to say they have a really impressive track record when it comes to their predictions because of how wrong they are um it's impressive it yeah. really is when you stop to think about it but think about also as wrong as they have been how much of our day-to-day life is being absolutely 100 percent influenced by the people that it's the gang that can't shoot straight yeah it doesn't make so, sense mm-hmm. we shut down and we crippled the world economy of the westernized countries, the westernized nations, based on forecasting of, of losses in the in the millions, even in our own country, two million people are going to die. Well, you know, look, the real numbers say a totally different thing, and yet we're still operating as though it was the worst thing that's ever come to be. And if we're not careful, it's going to come right back on us with a vengeance. And nothing gives that indication. But again, most people don't think through this for themselves. They're just people who listen to the media. Mm-hmm. And your show yesterday obviously is dealing with that. And it doesn't take any day in particular. Uh, you only need to sit down for an hour if you, can, if you can endure it and watch CNN or MSNBC, and you'll see a complete bias. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it just stokes so much fear, even here in Texas where I am. I'm astounded at how many people wear masks. Hmm. And you pretty much want to say, I heard a lady the other day, it's hilarious. We were at a restaurant and the lady has one of those things over her mouth uh, walking in. She goes, oh, that smells wonderful. And I wanted to say to her, do you realize that the molecules carrying the smell of the food that you want to go and eat is way larger than the virus that you're afraid of? It goes right through your mask. (laughs) You can smell what you're going to eat. So it's like, okay, you know, Uh, what are you going to do? Well, we were sharing yesterday, you might not be aware of this, but for the mainstream media outlets, I mean, uh, ABC, CBS, NBC, um, Fox, not Fox News Channel, but uh, the Fox Network, um, New York Times and uh, Washington Post outlets like that. The campaign donations from journalists and people in the media that bring us our news, their donations to Democrats compared to Republicans are 100 to 1 in the amount and what they give and who gives. It's just absolutely astounding. These are journalists that are supposed to be fair, balanced, unbiased, and report to the people and serve the people. 
I just want to read a quote before we get into some other news here, Chris. Um, what happened in 2008, this is, to me, this is what really was one of the, one of the final cat catalysts. One was the Iraq War after 9-11, the Iraq War and the anti-war movement, the Code Pink and all that, and the, how the media handled that. Another one was the reporting on Occupy Wall Street versus the Tea Party 10 years ago. But what happened in 2008 should be taught in journalism classes and go down as the final nail in the coffin of media objectivity. The character assassination, personal t- attacks, and brutal political assault on former Alaska Governor Sarah Palin should never have been allowed to happen. I've never seen so much hatred toward one person from the media until 2020. And now we're seeing it towards Trump, and we wonder how it got to be that we are here. Well, they have obviously have an agenda. They have a completely different worldview than most of us. If you're listening right now, you probably are uh, a Christian. You're probably conservative, and you probably understand some of these things and are concerned about the world and, and follow biblical prophecy and things like that. The, a lot of the world, especially those that are presenting the news, don't see it that way, and they're going to call us narrow-minded, bigoted, uh, hateful, intolerant, and all the rest. Um, Chris, there's so many articles on the media, but uh, the public seems to be catching on because there's such a elevated distrust in the news media today. All right, we understand that. Pew, Gallup, all these polls come out and say, yeah, the public trusts the media less and less. And, and then there's even people on both sides of the political aisle that say, yeah, the media was biased. Even these researches on the uh, 2016 election say, yeah, even Democrats say, yeah, we the media was three to one. They were trying to help Hillary Clinton win. So people are recognizing that. But here we are in 2020 believing a lot of the hype and the fear that they are putting out there about this virus to try to keep the shutdown or the government shutdown continuing and keeping businesses closed because their only hope of changing the direction of the country in their minds is getting a Democrat elected in November. What are your thoughts? Oh, well, <laughs> boy, what a what a huge topic. I, I have one glaring example in my mind that I can't get out of it. And it, it was probably like two, maybe three weeks ago. And uh, it was a reporter when they were still taking questions at those, you know, the press conferences for the medical stuff. And uh, one of these reporters, I don't even know who she was, but, she, you know, it's same person, different face. She asked this question, um, if, if a president um, oversaw a country where 56,000 people died or 50 whatever number she used, it was right about the, the time when the numbers were just like the Civil War. How could that president expect to be reelected? And I wanted to jump through the television and grab her by the neck and say, <laughs> Well, that would no, I wouldn't want to grab I'll grab her by the lapels and then say <laughs> Lovingly. <laughs> would you help me help me out on this thing. You're acting as though he's the one who concocted this thing and introduced it into the country, as though somehow he's complicit exactly in, in the way that this thing even came to be. But it showed how loaded the question was and it wasn't really asked. It was a statement posing as a question, mm-hmm. and that's ninety percent of the nonsense that you hear now. Because it's agenda, and when and when you were saying journalists, and you said it a few times, I'm in my I'm here doing my little air fingers quotes. <laughs> journalists, mm-hmm. these are these are people who are indoctrinators. These are yes. or now we're using we're calling them influencers, though they don't they try to say that they're above all of that and they're just reporting the news. No, they're pushing an agenda. No, yeah, what. When we see the reporting, we understand, but some people, Chris, and this is my concern for Christians that don't vote anymore, we have the country we have generally, the government, the laws that we do, uh, because of who we elect to office in large part. And we understand when we see their reporting on social issues, on gay rights, the LGBT, gun control, abortion, um, environmental regulation, on you know global warming, whatever else— we understand that they don't have a biblical worldview, and yet a lot of people will still take it take it in. Um, truth is important, and some people. How would you respond to someone who says, "Well, I'm not even going to watch any news anymore. I'm just going to go about my life." And it, it, it's kind of putting your head in the sand. But w- what are your thoughts on that? Because it's a, a way to get away from the nonsense and the deception. 
Absolutely. Well, two two things I would say for people. First of all, we are in the predicament that we're in because people deferred to everybody else to make their decisions for them. Ooh, so that's good. <laughs> um, when it comes to uh, when it comes to you know political things and voting and all the rest of that, look, you have to live under the freedom or the tyranny that's going to be put upon you by the person that's being elected. If you don't use your voice in that, you have no one to blame but yourself. Hmm. So. Right now, isn't it funny? People are deferring to others to be their fact checkers, and you know their fact checkers have an agenda. So, the the, the idea of independent thought is slowly well, actually now it's starting to pick up steam. It's taken a dirt nap right in front of our eyes because people are just allowing other people to tell them what to do and what to think. And it's interesting where you look out through the country. The places that are becoming resistant versus the people that are staying compliant, I hate to be the one to point it out. I know it makes some people mad. Mm. You can pretty much tell what political party they belong to by how they're willing to just do as they're told. Yes. That's a general statement that I think most of us would agree with, and it is a general statement, not, not in all cases. But when you're looking at the blue states compared to the red states, those are the ones that seem to have— a lot more cases now. I know they usually have the bigger cities and the more the the populations that are a lot greater than Middle America and different places. But it's just really odd that uh, some of these governors. Oh my goodness! And by the way, I want to get your take on this. And I know we're getting a little bit off topic here. Governor um, Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, Joe Biden is considering her for a VP. And it it just seems like. A year or two ago, Joe might have been looked at as more of a moderate in the Democrat Party, but now he's got other people calling the shots, and he's, he's going, he's basically a lot of Bernie Sanders policies and, and a lot of far-left policies, and he's going along with some of this, and we're going, well, wait a minute, is, is he really what the Democrat Party wants to put up there? But I guess that's up to them, right? <laughs> well, yeah, and uh, I mean, I, I need to be really careful in this and, and be charitable as I can, but... Um, if we think that Joe Biden's making decisions for Joe Biden, I think we're kidding ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he were to pick somebody like Whitmer, and I heard last night that they're vetting Klobuchar, mm-hmm. uh, these are politically expedient choices. When it comes to Whitmer, you know, my cynical side just says that they're trying to tick the box of, as she says, I'm going to pick a woman for my running mate, but she would help to make him look competent. Mm. Well, and- any, I think I would think any VP pick would help to make him because they would do most of the talking. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. All right, Chris, um, you posted something on Facebook the other day, and I wanted to ask you if this is a fair, a, a fair apples to apples comparison. Uh, you said look up the Hong Kong flu of 1968, and uh, in in the light of today's coronavirus, you said uh, an estimated 100,000 people died in the U.S. Nobody was accused of racism for identifying its place or origin. We did not decimate our economy and kill hundreds of thousands of small businesses. The nation didn't become the fear-driven sheep we currently have become, and we didn't stop living because we feared we may die. Um, is the Hong Kong flu, and compared to the coronavirus, is that, is that fair? I was I don't know how it couldn't be because it's very very similar even in the in the uh, the makeup of the type of virus that it was. Uh, let's be reminded, uh, hundred thousand people are that's the estimated number. The uh, the population of the country was just a little over two hundred million, so almost half of what we currently have. Hmm. So, putting that into perspective, if you just kind of extrapolate the numbers out, that would put this one here in the you know more like the, the 180,000 range to have an equivalent of those that died. And I would say that their numbers were probably considerably more um, reliable because there wasn't a political agenda behind it. Hmm. Um, so that's just the trying to be really careful about it. Somebody had pointed out if Woodstock happened during the Hong Kong flu. And what's oh, that's hilarious right. about that whole thing. That's right. Yeah. So somebody pointed that out to me, and I said, well, that just proves that LSD kills the coronavirus. <laughs> so, <laughs> what about uh, what about uh, marijuana? I guess that maybe helps uh, kill it, too. I don't know. Oh, Apparently, gosh. that would keep it from being airborne. That would just you know make the virus not care. So <laughs> I guess. <laughs> uh, scientists. But yeah, I, oh, I, I just, no, I just I wish people would would 
have a little perspective for a change and really start to take a look at this. When when our virus that we have currently is really unlike any of the really big outbreaks that we've had before in that it is so careful of its target demographic and the people who are most decimated by it really puts the overwhelming majority of the population at low to no risk. Hmm. So I, I just it's a, it's astounding to me that we have done this to our economy and the world did, too. This is kind of like the worst of the examples of the Me Too movements that as soon as somebody does something, the fear is if we don't do it and it blows up in our face, we're going to look bad. So it's the lemming mentality of, mm. well, monkey see, monkey do. And it seems the numbers indicate it, that the virus has less than a 1% death rate, even much less than 1%. And I'm scratching my head going, wow, we really did go along with this. Now, it was like the blind leading the blind. You had Fauci making his... By the way, if if a prophet of the Bible, if, if a Christian or a somewhat like a prophet in the Old Testament, let's just say, if they made a prophecy and it didn't come true, do you think anyone would give them credibility? They would run them out of town. But yet we've got someone <laughs> making decisions in the, the CDC and, and, and Fauci and and these doctors and scientists saying one thing and then they're wrong and then they're saying they're flipping and yet chris like you said earlier we're kind of a lot of us are still kind of kind of hanging on to what they now say because they've changed their minds it's like wow this would never work in so many other contexts it certainly wouldn't and i would love to tell people if you're not familiar with the little kids you know the kind of the fable Go go read. I don't even know what they call it. Is it the emperor's new clothes or whatever that is? Uh, go read the story and just ask yourself which side of the the conversation are you on? But it's you know the the emperor wasn't wearing any, but everybody was saying, "Oh, look at him!" And then finally, somebody says, "Well, the emperor's not wearing any clothes." <laughs> it's basically I'm not I'm not going to buy into what you're selling. It's nonsense. And you know, a month ago that was. A lot of people. Now it's becoming a movement. But the problem is they have little power compared to the powers that be. And, you know, here's what's interesting. If you have any listeners, I, I really ask you to, to consider this very, very carefully. Trump is getting all of the blame. And yet it's the states that have the ability to do and to set policy. Right. Look at South Dakota. Look at Arkansas. Mm -hmm. These are these are states that did little to no mitigation other than the elderly. And mm -hmm. they were they pretty much went through this without doing anything. Look at Sweden. They did the same thing. They just said, no, we're not going to wreck our economy. We know the target demographic will safeguard them. But the rest of us need to do what we're doing. And for all the, quote, science people, you want to say, well, you tell us to vaccinate our kids because we want herd immunity. Well, you can get herd immunity in this by having the healthy people. If they're exposed to it, you'll get it in the herd that way. Yeah. But, you know, you, you can't talk common sense to some people because, as I think it was Mark Twain who said that common sense is the least common of the senses. Yes. <laughs> can you imagine if in a in an alternate world, President Trump or Donald Trump was governor of New York and did the same things that Cuomo did where, uh, 50 to 55 percent of the deaths were in nursing homes in New York because of his policies. Can you imagine Trump would have been just I yeah, I, I can't even imagine. But um, oh, torches and pitchforks. Yes, exactly. Exactly. There's this double standard that I, I talk about this a lot. And I think we need to because it's become accepted which is, oh, that's just the media, the Me Too movement, like you brought up a couple minutes ago. The thing, Tara Reid, who used to work with Joe Biden, now these sexual assault allegations, apparently Me Too doesn't believe all women anymore. But it, you've got to point out these double standards because it's confusing to people. And, and we've, then we go, okay, well, that's just them. I guess they accept that if they're on the left. You know, accusations kind of fall on deaf ears. Anyway, I'm going off on a rabbit trail here, but when we come back, Chris, some information that we are going to get to from the Center for Biblical Engagement, how are pastors and church attendees navigating the pandemic? As you know, a lot of churches are reopening. Well, one of the things that's kind of eye-opening in this study is they expect most churches will experience a decrease in attendance in the weekly Sunday service. And we're going to talk about that 
when we come back with Chris Quintana on Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Our guest is Pastor Chris Quintana. We've got a pastor's perspective on religious freedom, on churches opening, and the coronavirus chaos. And it's so interesting, Chris, that um, the COVID-19 is so intelligent that it knows, it knows that um, it's it's not going to affect anybody at Walmart, Kohl's, Dollar Store, Home Depot, Menards, uh, Quick Trip, grocery stores, and abortion clinics. But it will affect you in small businesses or churches. It knows to attack people in small businesses and churches. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it is the smartest virus we've ever seen. You know, <laughs> you don't think that viruses have brains, but apparently they do. And probably at a higher level than the press pool in D.C. <laughs> okay. All right, we'll, we'll just throw that one out there and let, let that— It's really snarky today. Yeah, I know. I love it. It's Friday. Let, it's Memorial Day weekend. We'll let that hang for a while. Um, this survey, Center for Biblical Engagement, fascinating study, and it's just— one of probably several surveys. I'm sure Barna is going to do something as well and others. But it says 40% attended church in person, at least occasionally, before the pandemic. And now it says uh, also among the U.S. adults with some connection to church, 68% of them viewed online worship services during the pandemic, which I thought was kind of odd. Um, 70, roughly 70%. Um, so a lot of people are not taking in the Sunday morning services via YouTube or whatever. But your thoughts, Chris, on what they, one of the big takeaways from this was they expect most churches will experience a decrease in weekly worship attendance. Yeah, maybe speculation, maybe a little bit of uh, this probably might happen, but what are your thoughts? You know, it's interesting because I'm, I'm sure that you're going to put this up and people can go and look at it. And, and you and I both are the type where, where we'll hear a poll and we'd say, great, I'd love to see some of the internals in that. <laughs> and uh, so we, we want to know really what's the methodology behind it and, you know, find out some of the details. There are a couple that, that really struck me in this, and it probably goes to the heart of this. But it, it does... To me, this really does genuinely show, I believe, what is a real shallowness and a, and a lack of depth in the church, kind of going along to what we did at the opening of the program. Mm-hmm. But it's very simply this. If, if something like this can detach you from what goes on at church, and you don't find that it's useful enough to watch online, that probably tells you something about the substance of what happens, that you're probably there more for the entertainment than anything else. Mm. So... When I read down this, what you sent to me, the question was, to what extent is the COVID-19 pandemic affecting the spiritual lives of your congregation? And this is the one that probably stood out and just about knocked me out of my chair. In the respondents, it was this. 92% of their congregation are, quote, questioning God. Wow. Wow. So that means that something of some kind of adversity is going to make you question God if that's really what is behind it. it. doesn't say how are they questioning God or what are their questions. But that of all of the questions asked, the closest one that is even close to it is that they're having trouble sleeping, and that's 64% of the people that they talk to. But 92 are questioning God. Does that mean his existence, or why does he allow this to happen, or whatever? All of those questions are easily answered in the Scriptures. Mm-hmm. So why are you asking you know, uh, I, I don't, I don't understand that. That it, it's bizarre to me that that is what's happening here. That is fascinating, and it, you know, it's an age-old question: the struggle with God's sovereignty. If God, why evil? I mean, that's a very common, very popular question or concern. But once you are grounded in the truth of scriptures and have that biblical worldview, and you're established in your faith. I think, I mean, we should know. I mean, so many New Testament writers read about trials and perseverance, and I don't know. That, that is an interesting thought, Chris, where maybe people were a little more shallow. Maybe it reflects on the lack of sound teaching at particular churches. Maybe it reflects yeah. on, you know, just maybe they're 
desire to be told what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear, and uh, a lot of churches do that these days. You know what? Let's say this for for the listeners uh, to what we're talking about. You know, I know I've been kind of, like I said, snarky and everything else, but let's get real on this. If people are questioning God, a little bit of perspective would be helpful here because we're looking at it through the prism of the 21st century in the uh, and in the West as far as the church is concerned. There is a very, very important chapter in John's Gospel, chapter 16 in particular, and by chapter 16, they're in the upper room. So this is the last several hours of Jesus being a free man. And he says to them, chapter 16, let me just bookend it and say something in the middle. In at the beginning of chapter 16, Jesus says something so chilling to them. He says, look, guys, my paraphrase, I don't think he ever said it that way, but you get the point. He says, the day's going to come when somebody's going to put you to death and think they're doing God a service. Mm-hmm. Okay, let that one linger for a moment. At the end of the chapter, he says, in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. So if you hear that at both ends, terrible news at the front of the chapter, wonderful news at the end, even though you will have tribulation, right smack dab in the middle of that chapter is where Jesus promises that the Holy Spirit would be given and lead them in all truth. So if the church had the slightest glimpse of of the spiritual truth of, of his time, Jesus' time versus ours, we would look at the coronavirus and be able to take away a few things. This does not strike God as any surprise. If the COVID knocked at my door and took me and my life, I'm not going to wind up in heaven and then be surprised that I showed up. My numbers, my days are numbered. So as far as all of that is concerned, there's no questioning here because nowhere does God say your life is going to be easy and you'll never have any difficulties. The Bible tells us exactly the opposite. To think differently just shows you that we live in a very, very blessed place and time, Mm. but it doesn't really reflect what is historically accurate and truthful. So the idea that people would be questioning God, my only questions for him is, Lord, um, when when is this going to be lifted, and how can I use this as an opportunity to tell people the truth? Mm -hmm. But do I have to question whether he's there or not? I should be expecting these things, and frankly, I think we've been living on borrowed time to have it as easygoing as it's been, considering what the Bible says the future holds for this world. Absolutely, and if you look at America and our moral decay over the last, I don't know, 100 years, 100 years, it's amazing. His loving kindness is everlasting. His patience with us is really, it's, it's astounding to me. We, we're not getting what we deserve, uh, which is judgment, but we could use this time, still we could use this time to still do the job that we're called to do and minister, but I think what I'm sensing is a lot of people are kind of teetering on uh, that fear and uncertainty and it's just amazing to me that we're just allowing this. Here's here's another thought, Chris. I know I'm, I've got so many rabbit trails going on in my head right now. But a, a lot of teachers and pastors are doing their online sermons, probably 80 to 90% now, because the, just this opportunity we have with the Internet. And more people are tuning into a lot of these sermons than actual could fit in the church, in those churches. And some pastors are very comfortable with that, thinking, wow, we have this influence. But that can even be something that could prevent us from going out and really ministering to people in need around us, couldn't it? Sure. And, you know, to me, I think that what a wonderful time to be alive that we have the ability to do both. And so Mm -hmm. I could go ahead and say, ever since I moved to Texas, I've been doing online Bible studies because I'm not pastoring a church here, but I know people love to follow along. And actually, there are many people that I hear from that say, I don't have a church within driving distance to me that teaches just through the Scripture. Everything is topical, or mm-hmm. I'm getting screamed and yelled at all the time. And I'm thinking, <laughs> well, great, I was doing social distancing and online stuff before it was cool. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> what's nice about the whole thing is that, that no matter what happens, let's just say that Corona was anything like what it uh, what it was purported to be, or that it became something where the church had to go underground. This would be the church. But boy, while we have the opportunity, we should be out doing, as you said, and not view church as just some kind of a community center where people hang out and talk about God and stuff. 
Mm -hmm. I think a lot more will be revealed to us who are kind of watching this and observing and paying attention as far as the, the church, the strength of the church and the influence of the church, or lack thereof. Um, Chris, your website, oldpaththeology.net. I know you're—are you doing weekly videos there? Yeah, right now, um, at all times, we're doing a through-the-Bible study in the New Testament and in the Old. I'm just about to complete Deuteronomy and move on to Joshua and I'm about midway through uh, 1 Corinthians, a little bit past that. But I'm doing a lot of topical stuff, too. Um, so uh, just kind of what I'm calling talking points, and it's addressing things that are being discussed in the Church, more apologetic kind of topics. Excellent. Oldpaththeology.net. It always goes by so fast with you, Chris, and uh, I guess it's because we just kind of cover a lot of different things from different angles, and I appreciate your uh, pastor's perspective. God bless you, brother. Thanks so much, David. Good talking to you. All right, thanks. Have a great Memorial Day weekend. We'll talk soon. Okay, uh, schedule is changed for next week because of the holiday. We'll tell you about that and the guests when we come back. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. All right, guys, thank you so much for uh, just uh, your prayers, your encouragement, and for those who have been able to donate to our ministry. We appreciate you guys and for just being along with us, sharing our podcasts. Um, A change in the schedule next week, we were already going to be off for Memorial Day, and so there will not be a new podcast. Uh, Tuesday, we are being blessed here at the ministry with another day off. So we are going to reschedule Pastor Mike Abendroth and uh, have him a couple weeks later. We've got him scheduled in early June. So Pastor Mike will be with us then. Um, Wednesday, Sam Sorbo, homeschooling and uh, Christian parents teaching their kids. Great topic. And the activist mommy, Elizabeth Johnson, is back with us on Thursday. We'll catch up with her. She's always active in getting out there in the community. Um, Tim Chafee from Answers in Genesis is going to be with us on Friday uh, next week. So that's the last Friday of the month. So we're, we've got some uh, pretty great uh, podcast guests, I believe, uh, coming up. And some new guests in June. I don't want to tell you about them yet. I just don't want to spoil the surprise. But we're very, very fortunate here that people are willing to come on. They've got a new book out or they're doing a ministry and they can talk to us. We've got a a former homosexual uh, coming on. I just booked him for um, second week in June and a whole lot more. But uh, thank you guys again. We will put uh, some of these links that we discussed today with Pastor Chris Quintana in the podcast notes at StandUpForTheTruth.com. And again, I can't thank you guys enough. Remember the reason for the weekend. We are so thankful Memorial Day is to remember those who sacrificed for us and paid the highest price. They gave their lives so that we could continue to enjoy our freedoms here in this country. God bless you and keep speaking the truth about things that matter.